This is the More Than Fitness Podcast with Matt McLeod. But, uh, but cool, man. Yeah, like I said, I'm pumped to have you here. And uh, I, I kind of want to kick this off. Um, I feel like it's always the, the introductions are all, I don't want you to like have to be super long winded or anything, but like sure, whenever sure. somebody, somebody comes up to you at a bar or something, or just meets you for the very first time, like, what do you tell them you do? Ah, gotcha. 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 Yeah. 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 Um, typically I say, I'm, typically I just say I'm in healthcare, but, um, <laughs> yeah, that's, like, a, that's a good, that's yeah, a good sport, one. Yeah. Sports rehab, Cairo, you know, mm-hmm. um, depends on how the initial reaction to, oh, you're a Cairo goes. That's interesting, right? Because a lot of yeah. people have, I mean, they have their own opinions on on chiropractors. Yeah, of course. It's just there's such a stigma around it. I wonder why, though. Oh, well, it's because half of them are terrible. Okay. But, it's, that's, it, but that's with most professions, no? Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, it's like somebody who had a bad, uh, like they had a bad relationship with a coach, you know, do they think that all personal trainers are terrible now? Mm-hmm. You know, do they think that it's just different with different professions? You know, you get into like in the rehab world, you know, people hear like, oh, well, chiropractic doesn't work for me. Physical mm-hmm. therapy doesn't work for me mm. versus like you had a bad hairdresser. You're like, oh, well, I had a bad hairdresser. Not <laughs> yeah. Getting haircuts doesn't work for me. Mm. You know, it's like, that's just the way people seem to view it. They think of everyone as more like everyone treats the exact same. Everyone is the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and less that goes into how it, the profession itself has been marketed. But, you know. Yeah, what can you do? That's you why do, we're here. You're, you're, you're putting out good information. You're trying yeah. to. It's the same thing. I feel like more and more. Uh, so I'm a, I'm a dietitian. With dietitians these days, too, people like run some people you know that uh, are in certain ideologies of diets and things will will think sure. that think that you know all dietitians are just like shills or paid off or they're just like so backwards with their thinking and uh you know uh, we're just we're we're advising people the food pyramid still and everything so right. i understand your pain man right right, right i right. understand yeah. your pain we all have our thing right yeah yeah that's it that's it but uh so you're also, uh, uh, I, I definitely have to get into this. So little Ollie, you're, uh, so your son, how old is he now? He is 17 months. Okay. Uh, going on 18 months next month. He's probably going to come and try and get in here. I hope uh, he does. I've, I've locked myself into my office, <laughs> but I can unlock the door. If he comes in, I'll just grab him and put him on. I hope, but I hope he does. He, he is, uh, he's running, he's talking. He's, he learned to say, I love you oh about two gosh. weeks ago. So he said his first sentence. Yeah. He is, uh, he's growing like crazy. Wow. First child. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. First one. Congrats, so, man. That's, it's the, that's it's the best thing ever though. I'm, I'm stoked. How old are you? I am 30. 30? Okay. See, I'm I'm 25 and I'm like moving into that direction of, of things. Um, but like I'm so excited actually to be a dad. I, I think it's yeah. I, I'm terrified for my life to be a dad, but I'm also yeah. really, really excited. So have you you've you've enjoyed it though? Oh, I literally would never go back. And so like the way I've always described the way I started describing it to people, because everybody kept asking, Well, what's it like? What's it like? Of course. Uh, you know, I'm just like I loved every aspect of my life prior mm-hmm. and I'll never go back to that like that's kind of like where it's at um the other thing is after now like a year and a half into it i realize wow my parents didn't know anything <laughs> because i don't know anything right right but like 
they put on a good show, mm-hmm. you know? And that's the thing is like, none of us know what in the world we're doing. Mm-hmm. We're figuring it out as we go. And, you know, you're playing the role. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you, fi- you do figure it out and you learn to kind of settle into a routine. You kind of learn their habits and right. all that. But, um, yeah, it's a good experience. I've heard uh, I've heard a few things about it and I, I feel like they... I've heard somebody say like, no matter how much you read, how much you think you're ready for the child, like whenever the ad child actually comes out and it's like go time, you're like mm-hmm. just trying to figure it out as much as yeah. possible as you go along. Yeah. I mean, it's, I feel like I kind of fell into it naturally. Like I was, I'm very much, I was like you, I'm like, I am so excited yeah. and ready to be a dad. Yeah. Like it was, I was so looking forward to it. And I feel like I really just fell into that role mm-hmm. very easily because it was something I really wanted to do. Um, but even in that, like you're, you know, that you put them to sleep at night and everyone's talking, you know, about like, oh, they can't sleep this way. They mm-hmm. can't sleep that way. And it's like, you're like scared for your life. Right. And you want to get up three times a night and just check on them. And, but, you know, and then it's like, now he's running around, he's grabbing things. And it's like, oh, like is, I haven't heard anything. I haven't heard him lately. Like, right. I probably should go check on him. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, um. You figure it out though. Yeah, yeah. No, I've I've heard people talk about they're like, you never realize how many ways you can kill yourself until you have a child. <laughs> and it's just like <laughs> they 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 try and figure out every way possible to like hurt themselves. But they just don't know, you <laughs> right? They just don't know. Right. But I'll tell you what, man, it has taught me so much about how to be a better clinician. Ooh. Having a kid though. Ooh. Because you recognize how much like so we talk a lot in rehab and i know i do about the biopsychosocial model of pain and how it's not just you know x tissue is injured leads to pain kind of thing it's more pain is more of an experience Mm. and you know how you feel about that pain your you know your if it withdraws you from like your social you know your social construct that you have and if it makes you feel isolated that can actually like it can increase the burden right. of your injury. Ooh. And so it's kind of taking into account not only the biology, but like psycho- the psychological side of it and the social side of it and everything. But having a kid, you recognize just so quickly how much it's not just about biology because, you know, they they literally, my kid, he like turned around and literally just smacked his head into a wall <laughs> as hard as he could the other day. But then he just runs over to you and he's crying. Obviously, it hurts, yeah. you know, and, it, you know, you just console him for 30 seconds. And all of a sudden he's just happy and happy go lucky again. Right. You know, because it's just it's not just like X tissue leads to pain. And, mm. you know, that's the experience, et cetera. There's so much more going on to it. And so just seeing how kids like can respond so quickly to like social comfort. Uh-huh. And stuff like that, like getting a hug or they run to you and just want that. Right. It really has made me appreciate that kind of softer side of being a clinician a lot more. Um, And definitely has made me so much better uh, just in like my 17 months of being with him. Wow. That's fascinating, actually. That's that's really interesting. I never even I never even thought of. Yeah. Kids are kind of just like. um, they're like little feeling machines and it's just like as soon as they they feel the pain and then they have a they have the problem with the pain and then the parent comes comforts them and then the pain is okay again kind of right and every parent's first instinct is to try and make them laugh oh okay like they're crying they're upset what do you do you make a funny face or you know you do something and you try and make them laugh because if you know you make them laugh like they're gonna stop crying they're gonna be okay right um 
It's just trying to change the emotion yeah. behind, around it all. And like, you know, he's had, he's got himself a black eye. He's bruised all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And just running being, you know, being a little boy. Right. And, but you know, he doesn't seem to be too bothered by it. And, you know, it's other than like that first, you know, two minutes of it happening. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, like you think about how we think about injuries and how we view our pain and everything. We kind of latch onto stuff. Yeah. You know, we don't just like let it go and just kind of move about like they really do. Right. They're just like, I, I say like he has the brain of a goldfish. He just literally has that 14 second memory. Yeah. And then he's just, whoop, oh, look at that. There's something new and shiny. Yeah. And I think that we need to be like that a little bit more too. Dude, you're right. You're right. You know what? A topic that I had down here was something I was looking through your uh, your stories on IG and it was um, about your question and answers. And the, I thought the really cool one um, was on pain. I just think pain and pain sensitization, it's a hard word to say. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, that, and I just, I was, I was reading about it and I was like, oh, that's so, I just think pain is so interesting and complex and how we deal with pain, especially from person to person is going to, uh, you know, be different and, 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 uh, harder for some people than others, especially based off past experiences and stuff. But could you maybe touch on, um, what was the, it was like central pain sensitization. Oh, central sensitization. I, I can't even say it. Jesus Christ. Go yeah. ahead. Yeah. Sen Please talk about sensitization. that. Yes. Yes. Um, so in cases of the, like very prolonged pain, then what can happen is the we can the nervous system can kind of get um, almost like a, say like a little jumpy, a little hypersensitive, right. and we call it like a hypersensitive nervous system. So the way you have to first think about it, and the, I think the first key thing you have to recognize is that you don't you don't have like nerves that sense pain. Mm -hmm. Pain is an output that comes out of the brain, not an input that goes into it. Okay, cool. So like, so whenever we're learning like our neuroanatomy in school, you're kind of taught about pain fibers. Mm -hmm. And so you're like, we're like, like, yo, you'll have like these C fibers and those are your pain sensing fibers. Really what they are is nociception, mm -hmm. which is going to be like a, a threat receptor. It's sending a signal saying threat up the spinal cord to the brain. And so I relate it a lot to audio waves. Nociception is like audio wave coming into the ear. Okay. Like, so sound, it doesn't come in, audio waves come in, right? Right. Sound is what the sense is that you get out of it. So pain is very similar. Pain is an output of the brain. It's a sense. Mm -hmm. And so with that, the brain can dial up or dial down sensitivity. Mm -hmm. And um, we've all probably experienced this, maybe not necessarily with pain, but with hearing in that. I assume everyone here, it listens to podcasts. So right. you've probably been listening to a podcast, maybe this one, and the you were kind of listening to it, something you said caught your mind. Mm -hmm. And you started thinking about that. You started thinking, how could I implement that? That's an interesting topic. And before you know it, you don't know what was said for the past five minutes. Mm. Right? Or you've ever had to reread a page in a book? Yeah, multiple times. Because you, you, your mind drifted right? Sure. You didn't turn down the volume. Mm. The audio waves coming in are the exact same all the time. Got it. Right. You didn't turn down volume, mm -hmm. but your brain did. Your brain turned down the volume because your mind went elsewhere. Okay. Okay. So it changed the sense. Okay. You didn't hear it. So now think about how that can relate to pain. 
in that you could be having this nociception and these this different threat signals being sent to your brain all the time. Mm-hmm. And you could then think, or your brain could then say, all right, well, you know, that's not actually that important. Mm-hmm. I don't feel that actually is a threat to the system. We don't need pain in this situation. Okay. So that could be a dial down and that's happening all the time. And we'll see a lot of things where this is why a lot of like tissue damage doesn't necessarily correlate perfectly to pain in that, you know, we see that like the major grand majority of people have disc bulges and disc herniations with no pain. Mm-hmm. We see people can have rotator cuff tears and no pain. Um, but on the opposite end of that spectrum, things can get dialed up to the point that you can actually have large amounts of pain without any input signal. Mm-hmm the brain can kind of just get hypersensitive. The nervous system can. And so the way it's kind of a hard thing for a lot of people to recognize whenever they're dealing with it, because with something like central sensitization, it, in this hypersensitive nervous system, the, like the littlest things can really set them off. So like just brushing them on the shoulder can create this crazy pain experience. Mm. Um, it's just that sensitive. And so people kind of look at them like you're crazy, mm-hmm. you know, people don't like, it's just not a normal experience. So a lot of times people just feel isolated mm-hmm. with that. And, you know, going back to that whole social side of things that can make them make the burden of it feel even worse. Uh, so a lot of what we do with those types of clients is first, just help them realize you're not crazy. Right. <laughs> it's like, this is something that can actually happen. Um, you're not the only one dealing with it. But the way I like to try and explain to them what happened, and this is what I've written in my Q and A's is it's like being in a really bad mood. So you've probably all, we've all been in super bad mood at some point. And the littlest thing that normally you would brush off just makes you snap. Mm -hmm. And you're just like, not today, Mm -hmm. Kevin. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, that, that guy cuts you off in traffic and all of a sudden you're just like, which normally it's an annoyance, Mm -hmm. but today it's just like, it sends you into a fit of cursing and you know, it's like the straw that broke the camel's back. And we've all kind of had that bad day. That's what a lot of people are living Mm -hmm. with, with this type of pain in that the little things that you and I may not feel as a threat, our nervous system may not sense it as a threat theirs does right and so they get a pain they get pain from it um and then things that you and i kind of would feel as painful they feel as on a much greater magnitude Mm -hmm. so we have to one just help them realize okay this this is normal you're gonna be okay right let's you know and then we try and control what we can control lifestyle factors you know stress sleep activity diet like dial in the little recovery things that we can sure. um, help them gradually start moving a little bit more. Right. And, you know, it's, it's a tough process yeah. for a lot of them, but um, you know, it's, and I'm certainly not perfect at helping them through it, but um, it's, it's definitely a more complex case. Yeah. It's challenging. to kind of work through something like that, but yeah. it is normal. It is normal for some people to have that. Right. Right. It reminds me of, um, I don't remember where I was reading. It was something about pain, but it was talking about, um, a person who's like really afraid of snakes and they're like walking through, um, like the woods or something. And then they're stepping on things. And, 
uh, maybe they're barefoot and they, they would step on like even just the smallest thing, like a stick and it would break. And they, they're so hypersensitive in that moment that whenever the, the, the stick breaks, they think that it's a snake or something biting mm -hmm. them. So the pain that they feel is actually much higher than right. the, the real pain that they're, they're actually feeling, you know? Right. And so you think about all the things that go into that, in that they're barefoot. Right. So that, that goes into it in that their senses are going to be heightened mm -hmm. probably because they feel less protected mm. in there. Now they're in the woods. So your assumption is this is a place where snakes would be. Mm. I'm not walking around out in on a sidewalk in the suburbs. So your ex, so now you have an expectation mm. that there could be a snake around that in a pain sense could be I've had pain with this movement before. My past experience has been this. I know this could potentially stress this area that I hurt. Am I expecting to hurt or not? Mm. How much am I expecting to hurt with this? And then, you know, is it nighttime? Right. Where you can't see quite as well? Is it clear daylight mm. where, you know, what all the things, like if it's night and you see the randomest thing kind of shift, like it's creepy, it freaks you out and you're like, oh, no, snake. Right. Right. And so environment all that starts to play into it and these are all the things that we have to kind of look at with an injury as well as okay what have you been told in the past what do your expectations look like do you think you're going to get better are you expecting it to hurt you know do you expect mm. that shoulder to hurt when you get to that load yeah um are you you know are you catastrophizing it are you always thinking about it are you making it out to be so much worse than it actually is did somebody tell you that your shoulders being impinged and that you're like squishing your rotator cuff tendon and it's just rubbing away and eventually it's just going to tear if you don't fix that scapular dyskinesis, right. you know? And so it, that sets in a very poor expectation for recovery when they're told that. So some of it's like shifting narrative to first and foremost, just kind of help somebody get, gain a positive expectation for what the outcome is going to be, mm. you know? So if you, if we take our snake example, you know, you might want to tell somebody, yeah, you are walking through the woods and you know, probably if you wore shoes, you probably feel a little bit more protected. So why don't we start by just putting on some shoes and, you know, realize that there's a lot of sticks out there. So whenever you hear something crack into your feet, the odds, because there's a lot more sticks than there are snakes, right? right? The odds are that it's a stick snapping under your foot, not a snake right mm. snakes are, and then you can you know snakes are actually pretty scared of humans so they're not going to tend to just come after you and chase you that's not their nature they want to scatter away all of this is starting to make someone feel more and more comfortable before you send them into that environment so that's what i try and do a lot with patients too in that we can spend a 40 we can have a 45 minute chat of just education you know this is, before we go and do that overhead press right just setting up like no, like your, your shoulder blade doesn't move funny. It's just normal variation the way everyone else's does. Whenever I raise my arm up, my shoulder impinges too, because impingement is just the normal approximation of the joint. It's mm. nothing pathological. And you know, what you're dealing with is more of a sensitive shoulder and it might be sensitive to a certain load. It might be sensitive to a certain range of motion. We're going to figure all that out, but it doesn't mean that you're necessarily damaging your shoulder. And you don't necessarily need to think that just because you feel it, that you're causing some sort of wearing away of your cuff. Like, I really don't want you to worry about that. Yeah. So you basically, you have to, 
you have to not necessarily run away from the pain completely, but you have to be able to distinguish also between discomfort and pain. And also, like, I feel, uh, is, is that is that somewhat right? And they have to, yeah, I guess somewhat the difference between discomfort and pain can be different. Well, what What is that difference? <sighs> yeah, I guess they kind of go hand in hand, don't they? So there's the thing. Pain's a subjective experience. Right. Discomfort is a subjective experience. Right. The only thing that distinguishes one from the other is if you believe that it is. Mm. Damn. Okay. Look at that. So I'd have no problem allowing somebody to work into pain. Okay. Um, I actually encourage a lot of my patients to work into pain because especially I see a lot of patients that have had more persistent or chronic pain, mm. not a ton of, uh, not just a ton of acute injury. So in those cases, oftentimes the tissue has healed up, the tissue's fine, but we're dealing with more of just this kind of pain is there and it's kind of linked to certain motions or certain loads, things get irritated. And so we frame it a lot more around sensitivity. Mm. So it, it, I allow them to work into pain. I just tell them if it's tolerable to you, go for it. Mm. Because tolerable to you is much, I would say is kind of that distinguishing line between is it pain? Is it discomfort? Is it good pain? Is it bad pain? Like, you know, we're probably, most of our listeners here are probably in the fitness culture and the fitness world. Right. So like we inflict pain on ourselves. Yeah. Like do a set of 10 of heavy squats. <laughs> yeah. Like it doesn't matter if it's RP six or seven, like yeah. it hurts. Right. That's just part of it. But you think about what a lot of exercise, what a lot of um, exercise does for us teaches us to better handle that mm. it just just it kind of like it toughens of toughens us up mm -hmm. it makes you more hardy yeah um so i think a lot of that is actually a lot more of what's going on in the rehab process too is when you expose somebody to some of that discomfort and you allow them to see that like i felt it and there wasn't this dire consequence afterwards mm -hmm. like i felt my pain in my shoulder but then i was still able to just move my arm around and function normally afterwards that then again it kind of brings it back to we're lessening the burden that the person sees because really the injury is more so about the burden right that it places on the person you know if you think about it, if you break your leg obviously there's an obvious burden because of the tissue is broken mm -hmm. yeah um you know you tear your hamstring there's an obvious burden but you think about something like a paper cut, there's obvious tissue damage, mm -hmm. right? It really hurts, mm -hmm. but there's very little burden with it. And most people would not consider themselves injured to get a paper cut. Um, but people may like stop themselves from going and working out because they woke up with a little bit of tightness in their low back. Yeah. Oh, it's interesting. Right? Yeah, man. No, that's, it, 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 I think, yeah, I think all that stuff is, um, no, that's, that's a super interesting way to put it. Um, and I, you just brought that up. I feel, uh, one thing that, uh, I feel like it's common for so many people to do the first thing whenever they get injured or whenever they feel sore or tightness or anything is to stretch that muscle to, to do, um, whatever passive stretching on that muscle. I'm, cu I'm curious, what, what is your take on stretching muscles that are, uh, uh, that are sore or injured or, uh, yeah, along those lines? As long as there's not a, like a contraindication to it, I don't really mind. Uh -huh. um, I can't say I've, I ever really prescribe it. Right. Um, for some people, it's, there's, you just have to look at it and what are you trying to achieve out of that? Mm -hmm. So 
do you believe that tight muscles are the reason you're in pain? In which case, I would say, no, they're not. Mm. Because there's nothing to say that limited mobility should cause you pain. Um, and that, or that more mobility should mean no pain. Right. Otherwise, dancers would never have pain, right? Right. Contortionists would never have pain. And I can tell you, yes, they do. Mm. Um, just like the same way of saying, like, weakness does not cause pain. Mm-hmm. And strength does not make you pain free. Ah, huh, yeah. So you don't you don't need to be stronger to get out of pain. Mm-hmm. You often just need to find ways to not irritate the crap out of it. Right. So what a lot of people are st- doing stretching is whenever we're talking about this, we need to understand why are we actually doing it in the first place. If you've been told that like, oh well, I just have tight hamstrings, that's causing my low back pain because it's pulling my pelvis backwards into this posterior tilt and yada yada yada. No that like you don't you don't need to do that if you don't want to if you find that stretching your hamstring makes your back feel better and you're doing it and you're like yeah i don't know that i need to but it it makes me feel good Mm -hmm. and that allows me to then go and work out and play with my kids and live a happy healthy normal life while life kind of you know time kind of works this thing out no problem with that whatsoever Mm. um and so i like to if it, you want to use it as a symptom modification strategy and you feel it works, that's cool. Now, there can be contraindications to stretching, such as, let's say, in the case of like an acute hamstring tear, we would not want to stretch that muscle. Right. Um, that would not be a good idea because we have some tissue damage that needs to heal. Uh, if we're dealing with some sort of insertional tendinopathy, so kind of a tendon pain that's right on the bone, Sometimes stretching that can actually make it feel worse Mm. and that can perpetuate it. So stretching is kind of contraindicated there as well. There's some differences of opinions on that one. Um, But in most cases, as long as it doesn't make you feel worse, like fine by me if you want to do it. I just don't think it's necessary to do it. Right, right. My my understanding, which obviously is very limited, um, but my understanding and it kind of made sense whenever I don't remember where I heard this from, but it was talking about uh, whenever whenever we do get sore and we have that limited range of motion. Um, let's say before we're about to lift, uh, uh, like you said, we do have tight hamstrings or something. We're sore in our hamstrings, and we're we're supposed to do legs again that day. Uh, we're supposed okay. to do squats or something. So, my understanding is that it's it's our body's way of saying, "Hey, like we're making this tighter so that you don't." end up injuring yourself. And so if you end up stretching, you get that kind of neural effect of, okay, it's, it's better. Like I feel better, but the muscle is still, um, uh, uh, whatever the way it is. And then healing. Yeah. Yeah. It's still healing. And then you end up doing the squats and you end up exerting yourself and you, you weren't actually, uh, um, as, as, as recovered as you felt you were in your brain. Mm-hmm. Does that make somewhat sense? Yeah. Yeah. It's, so bringing it more to a performance side of things then, um, in that case, I mean, unless you're doing just a ridiculous, I mean, unless you're ridiculously sore, right? Of course. Like, like, you know, if you're ridiculously sore, well, you probably have bigger issues than, you know, the stretching. Right. Um, so first things first, we need to probably have a conversation about your training volume Mm -hmm. and your distribution of training volume across the week to make sure that you're not just completely running yourself ragged. Mm -hmm. Um, on a frequency level that's just not sustainable for you so but let's say you know that we're at a two out of ten soreness level like you know 
40, two, two days ago, we were really sore. It's kind of been easing off mm-hmm. day by day, but like it's our next training session and it's just time to go. It, you know, if you did a general dynamic warm up, that's probably that soreness is probably going to go away too. Right. It'd probably be fine. Um, if you stretch, that soreness can go away. It's mm-hmm. more at that point a matter of do you feel confident that you're not going to, that you're not really doing harm to yourself? And for the grand majority of cases, we're probably not as long as we're following a well-structured program. Mm-hmm. Um, we're probably not doing so much damage, so much muscular damage to ourselves that we're like risking tearing something. Uh, if now then we can talk about from the performance side of things, is it the necessarily the best way to go about that? Mm. So we know that static, like static stretching can decrease your performance by somewhere between six and 10%. Mm-hmm. Now, thinking critically on that it's not the obvious it's obviously not the best way to go about it if you can do a dynamic warm-up and feel better which could possibly improve your performance for the day i would much rather you go that route with it Mm -hmm. on the other hand if some static stretching allows you to get into the position that you need to get into use better training technique and just generally like just go right i would probably rather you do that Mm -hmm. and take the six percent drop then, you know, unless you're like a world-class athlete or something, but you're probably not having that issue. Mm-hmm. Um, we're probably talking more about our general everyday person. Right. They probably don't care about 6%. So at that point, sure, do some stretching, but then also do a dynamic warm-up right after and then get into your work. Right. Um, I really don't mind. Again, though, it's just, I wouldn't say it's necessary. Yeah, yeah. No, that 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 makes sense. That really does make sense. Uh, I think the other one that I hear... Uh, all the time, and I'm sure that that you've heard it as well. Is um, and it's not as popular, I feel like anymore, but it definitely was maybe a year or two ago. And it's it's just talking about sitting all the time. So sitting is the new smoking. So yes. What it, oh my what, god, I what have it, biggest pet peeve on that statement. What are your thoughts on that? All right, so that's a huge pet peeve of mine. Is that <laughs> sitting is the new smoking? Um, how do you think that makes somebody feel to tell them that whenever they have to go and work an office job to feed their family? <laughs> right. I know. Damn. Like. That's just terrible. Yeah. You know, sitting is not the new smoking. Okay. The detriments of that we see in people who sit more is that people who sit more tend to have sedentary lifestyles in general. And we know that sedentary lifestyles are not good for us. Mm -hmm. Like we need activity. We, there are baseline minimum amounts of activity we need. You know, there's the 150 minutes of moderate intensity activity a week, 75 minutes of vigorous activity a week that we should all be trying to hit, you know, get some strength, a couple strength training sessions in there. Mm-hmm. And if you're just not doing that, then you're at a higher risk of, you know, all cause, all cause mortality and all these, uh, all these systemic diseases that we see and people who tend to just be more stagnant tend to not feel as good. Right. Right. So you, if you want to just get up and go walk around for you know every hour stand up take five minute break go work it's fine you're probably gonna be more productive doing that than trying to bust out three hours of work straight because Mm -hmm. you're gonna get distracted and you're just not gonna be in the right mindset Mm -hmm. so but it's not that like sitting in a chair is somehow degrading your body right um so the there i guess probably what you were alluding to is that a lot of people say like, Oh, well sitting tightens up your hip flexors. Sure. Yeah. Right. Like, um, how would you stand up if they were that tight? Right. 
yeah. like how how would you stand up like your hip would not be able to extend mm-hmm. people don't think these things all the way through when they say it mm-hmm. in that like a muscle that can't extend leads to limited range of motion limited range of motion means the bone cannot literally move into the position right you wouldn't be able to stand up yeah you know so it's kind of just ridiculous statements when you think about it though we attribute a lot of that to certain muscles that we like to just place blame on mm-hmm. like for some reason we blame the hip flexor for so much crap yeah I, like no one says like oh you have tight biceps <laughs> right. because you had your hands at your desk all day yeah all your biceps are tightening up yeah dude like, it's my it's my psoas i swear they, they like throw out like a, they, <sighs> they know what the psoas is so like dude it's my psoas i just know it's super, super yeah. tight and sitting all day right right right, right. That's what yeah it is. yeah it's you know, we say we say that about like, oh, your like your abdominals are getting weak mm-hmm. by sitting there. Well, do you like no? Like, how do like how do muscles get weaker? N- not training them, mm-hmm. not training them, for, and it takes three to four weeks to lose strength mm-hmm. of, with no stimulus. So, if you're providing any stimulus whatsoever, right, you could be completely stagnant otherwise, and you're not creating weakness there. So. Yeah, there's just so many theories that don't hold up. Mm-hmm. Does that um, does that carry over into because you know the next thing is the the posture thing? Like, oh, I don't I don't sit up straight. My posture is terrible. They think yeah. that everybody needs to be like this rigid board the entire time, and if anybody has any type of spinal flexion whatsoever, they're they're just yeah. gonna, they're cursed forever. Oh my god! Yeah, I, I got into a little conversation with somebody the other day on that. Oh, interesting. In that, you know you need to think about positions in terms of what is the optimal position to perform your task, right? Like if we think about doing a deadlift, Mm -hmm. there might be 10 different ways that are optimal to move a heavy weight off the floor, right? I, how many different ways can you achieve the task of typing on your computer? Like a thousand, right? Like if you're a little more flexed in your back, that's probably not that big a deal. Now, that's not to say that people should be sitting eight hours a day, flexed over, hunched over, looking straight down at their phone, et cetera, et cetera. Like l- we need to live in a, like live in the, mo- in the middle here. Um, don't, don't go to the extremes. Yeah. The same thing would be said for somebody who's standing for in the same position for eight hours a day. Right. Uh, yeah. And so there's been some literature to look at the impact of standing desks on low back pain. And we see that people who have standing desks and who stand all day don't have lower incidence of low back pain mm. than those who sit all day. So Weird. it's, yeah, imagine that, like, just <laughs> yeah. like not moving. Right. Um, but it's not one or the other is necessarily bad. And if you really think about it, no one stays in one position all day long. Right. Like, you know, you see the pictures of people like looking down at their phone. Yeah. The picture of somebody like jutting their head forward, looking at the screen. Like no one stays there all day. Like you lean to your right arm rest, you lean to your left one. Right, right. You know, now, a lot of people will... I'm standing right now. I'm going to go ahead and yeah. stand right now. I feel better now. So <laughs> then you have, so a lot of people with, say, back pain may feel uncomfortable sitting. Like, and they might already have back pain from some other issue. Let's say that they're dealing with, they were dealing with an acute injury and now sitting is just uncomfortable for them. That doesn't mean that sitting caused the pain in the first place. It's just, it's perpetuating. Mm-hmm. And so I think we have to distinguish between is something manifesting pain, is something perpetuating pain, or is something causing pain? Mm. And that's a big line that we need to draw. Right. You know, if 
if you overloaded your squat volume and are now dealing with some sort of patellar tendinopathy, it will often hurt you to go up and down the stairs. Mm. Did taking the stairs cause your pain or did overloading your training volume on, you know, on squatting right. lead to that? Right. One's perpetuating, one is manifesting pain, the other one is a cause. Mm. And we need to translate that over and kind of identify these different things in with all injuries mm-hmm. and not just say, oh, poor po- you have poor posture and you have back pain. Poor posture causes back, causes your back pain. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Now I see it's a lot of um, jumping to conclusions on different right. things and they don't think it through um, completely. Right. I try and give patients a laugh and I bring it back to the, the baby thing. You know, um, babies, you give, you know, you say kiss the boo-boo. Mm-hmm. You know, they run in, you kiss their scraped elbow and they feel better. Right. Were they in pain due to lack of kisses? No. Right. They were in pain because they ran their face into a wall. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that That's so true though. That's, yeah, no, that's, that's, that's very true. Um, oh man. Yeah, that's good. I, I think this stuff is really, it, it's so fascinating because there's so many different facets um, that, that go along with it as far as like the psychological, the physiological, the bio, like there's so many different things that, that go on with it. Did you enjoy whenever you were in college, did you really enjoy learning about all this stuff? I'm curious. I'm always, I'm always wondering like how much people really did enjoy learning about their profession whenever they were in college. I wish I could say that we learned a lot of this in college. Um, Unfortunately, it's still just not being taught as much as it should be, mm. um, or it's not framed yeah. as well as it should be. Yeah. Like we did, we had one or two psychology classes in school, but it was more so about can you like identifying different psychological disorders, right? And it wasn't, it never really put a lot of focus onto the psychological impact of pain and how pain can be impacted by other lifestyle factors. Um, we didn't really get into how pain is impacted by social factors. So that's something that mostly I've had to pick up on and through reading once I've gotten out of school, but I absolutely love it. Like I, I think it's fascinating to me to be able to kind of one, be able to learn it, but also be able to explain it better. And so whenever I'm, you know, learning these things, I'm trying to think of like, well, okay, well, how does that correlate to something I already know? Right. So I'm going to need to be able to explain that to somebody. So I'm trying to come up with an analogy for it. And then, you know, that's how we get like the bad mood analogy and mm. all that stuff. But I, I personally just, I love it. It's fascinating to me too. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, and you can tell, you can tell that you really enjoy, enjoy talking through it and, uh, uh, explaining it to other people. And I could tell on Instagram too, you, you've, uh, clearly your, your work speaks for itself, but I feel like your positivity and, uh, your eagerness to help it, it shows, uh, oh, through thanks. what you do and people definitely appreciate it. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I say it's very selfish because I, it's very hard to have a bad day when you have a hundred people telling you, thank you. Right. No, that's, that's very true though. Um, I was listening to, uh, your podcast with Emily Duncan, actually. Okay. Um, it was, I think you did it, uh, probably a little bit over a year ago. Yeah. Uh, and it was interesting. And she, uh, you actually talked about your uh, college experience. It was kind of uh, not the best, best time of your life. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to, you want uh, to, to segue yeah. a little bit into there? I, I, I just want to, I feel like whenever I listened to that, I was like, oh shit, this is a really good um, kind of come up story. And I thought it was interesting. So I wanted to touch on that a little bit. 
Yeah. So um, I went to the University of Texas, uh, got my human biology degree there right. back in 2007. Mm-hmm. So started there 2007, graduated December of 2010. Okay. So I was there for about three and a half years. And I'm trying to think when exactly it was for me, I think it was about a year, year and a half in. Mm-hmm. Um, so well, I guess it's a little background on me. Like I've always, you know, just being a teenage kid, you know, being a little self-conscious about how you look like most of us are. Right. right? Um, kind of got into running a little bit around in my sophomore year of college and, you know, started to see some, started to see some weight loss, started to see abs for the first time in my life, like loved it, et cetera. Um, but that really like led me into this kind of obsession with, oh, like I got to get leaner and leaner and leaner and like couldn't stop. To and then you know with that it starts to go to well now I need to get leaner faster mm. and you start to get obsessed with seeing that number drop on the scale and like every like I want to see it lower number every day right and if it's not lower then like I'm getting fat again mm. and like wasn't even fat to begin with yeah but like it just your mind goes to a weird place which I'm sure you yeah. know all too well working with clients for sure um so started to it really led me down to like a orthorexia kind of um really obsession with healthy eating that was kind of during the whole clean eating fad sure yeah uh, time i guess that was kind of at the peak of that around 2008 or so right right and so it was very much like can't have any sort of breads can't have any cereals can't have any sugars can't have any unhealthy fats sure you know and that eventually started to go to well, even if it is healthy, like I shouldn't have too much of it. Mm. And yeah, on and on and on it goes. So I sit now at about like I, my settling point is about 165 to 167 pounds. Sure. Like at that, and I've been five, nine for ever. Mm-hmm. Um, I was down to about 130 to 132 pounds at wow. that point. Yeah. yeah so that's, like that's small. Yeah, it's very small. Like I and I know when I'm too small because like my head looks too big for my body. <laughs> for <laughs> okay, sure. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but like it was just a bad spot because I remember like I can still kind of distinctly remember like I would stand up off of like my bed, um, just getting up out of bed or something, and like I would almost like black out. Wow. Like just yeah, I would just be like, whoa. Like really, isn't um, it crazy how you look back at these times in your life and you're like, why, how did I not see these signs? Yeah. Like how, how is that? Because I think that you're too, you, you get yourself into this mindset of like, it's, you know, maybe I think, I think that you maybe know that it's not perfect. Right. But I think that you justify it in some way. Mm-hmm. Right. And I know I did. I personally justified it. And like, so I lived in a building with stairs. And so like, taking the stairs, like I was exhausted. Like my legs felt heavy just walking to class. I was tired. I didn't have energy, but you know, you deal with it for so long, it becomes normal and you don't even know what good feels like anymore. Mm. So I don't know that you can even recognize it's a problem because it is your normal at that point. Um, or you associate it because like, oh, well, you know, I'm losing weight, so I'm supposed to feel like crap. Right, right. It's all right. part of the process. You it's know? just a part of the process. Like you're, dig you're, in. You're just, just hardcore. You're hardcore, yeah, you're dude. Just, yeah, just dig in. Right. Yeah, but then it led to a lot of like social retraction to the point of I didn't want, I would turn down opportunities to go out with friends because like 
oh, well, going to a restaurant, I won't be able to control what's going into my food. I won't be able to control the calories. You know, I don't want to wake up tomorrow and like not be as lean as I was today. Wow. And it's, which for no, for no reason whatsoever, other than like pure vanity Mm -hmm. of like, I didn't want to look in the mirror first thing in the morning and not feel the way I felt, you know, the, the day before or something. Wow. Yeah. And to be honest with you, I don't know where I would have stopped. Mm-hmm. But like I went home for like spring break and like my family asked like, are you okay? Mm, that's the like, sign. That's it yeah, right like there. That was a sign. Like they were like, are you okay? Yeah. Um, And you know, they, and they could see like I wasn't eating the same way or anything whenever I went home. And so, you know, like they were just kind of like, just sat me down and just chat, talked to me like, dude, are you, are you good? Mm-hmm. Like, um, and you know, of course I'm like, yeah, 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 I'm good. I'm good. And, but I wasn't, and you know, I was blessed in that I was able to kind of cr- I crawled myself, uh, like I crawled my own way out of that. Yeah, um, and it was definitely something that I think has made me more strong-minded and strong-willed over time to have crawled my way back out of that. But you know, recognized I need to put a little weight back on, mm-hmm. so did that and started kind of that bulking process or whatever you want to call it. Right, and but still was very. You know, I thought I was in a much better place then because yeah. now, okay, I'm okay, I'm eating again. Uh-huh. But it was still very much obsessive over like clean style foods. Yeah. And not allowing myself to, you know, partake in anything that wasn't 100% controlled. Sure. This, so, like, is, this, was, is a, this was a clean bulk. Yeah, clean bulk, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, and like... This is at a time, I think, where the only information you had on this was the bodybuilding.com forums. Which is, yeah, the holy grail of all information ever. So, I, right, yeah, I understand. Right. But, like, this was, you know, before we had access to a lot of what you see mm-hmm. day in, like, what you can scroll your Instagram for and see, like, 20 different accounts yeah. all preaching, you know, balance and everything else. Mm-hmm. Now, um, so... I, you know, I was still very much obsessed with that kind of stuff. And even like, even though I'm eating more, I'm still not really like going out with friends and mm-hmm. I'm still kind of in that social retraction kind of phase in that I'm just so obsessed with fitness, like, and how I look in my body that like fitness became my life rather than like being a part of my life. Interesting. Interesting. Well, that dude, that's my, that's like my, my tagline on my, my bio or whatever. It's like, I coach people how to use fitness to enhance your life, not be your life. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that that is such a, uh, a testament to that. Is it because did you, did you see yourself? Cause some people do this and, and, and no judgment at all, but did you see yourself as kind of morally superior because you were eating that way? Or was it, it was it actually because, okay, I'm doing this because I want to make sure I look my best. Yeah, it wasn't a moral superiority thing for me. Okay. I think it was that, yeah, I think, and it, you, I'm in healthcare. Like, the human body is interesting to me. Sure. In general. Um, but, like, you know, you see, you know, you see pics of, like, the bodybuilders, you know, bodybuilders and models and all these guys that, like, you're like, dude, I want to look like that. Like, right. I wish I could look like that guy, you right. know? And, like, I want that, I want that body style or whatever. And I think it was much more, like, okay, I feel like I'm working toward, like, I'm, I feel like I'm getting that. Like, I'm going to get that. I'm going to get that. I'm going to get that. Um, so like, that's, I feel like what it was for me. And that, like, I felt like I had to be at that level of obsession mm, to, that's what it because, took because it was like, it was that important to, right, me, right. to get there. Yeah. Right. Um, 
versus, and really what it comes down to is I had an incomplete understanding of that process, mm. right? Like, so I had a very incomplete understanding of how it all worked. I would, I couldn't have even probably couldn't have even told you how many calories I was eating. Mm. I just knew what the food looked like. They were healthy know? calories. They were just healthy calories, right? And so, you know, coupled that with, you know, what the scale said, I didn't know anything about macronutrient balance, micronutrient balance, or, you know, calorie balance or just anything. Mm. Um, and so, but that's the huge problem is that, you know, when you have just enough information to be dangerous, you really can be dangerous to yourself. Wow. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's, you see that in rehab too, in that people get just enough knowledge to think they understand what's going on. Yeah. To where they have an incomplete picture mm. and they don't really get it and it can actually lead them down a pretty bad path it's the dunning kruger effect kind of yeah it really is the it really is the dunning kruger yeah, effect you don't know what yeah. you don't know yeah until you realize until that there's so much more <laughs> yeah and they're like oh, okay so i literally know nothing yeah i know i know nothing there's so much more i probably won't ever know know everything right but you start to become more and more okay with that and you realize that you're just trying to do the best you can every day right yeah a hundred percent and so as you um, did this start to eventually, um, kind of your obsessiveness kind of tone down a little bit as your, yeah. as your life went on and you found out more information? A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, now I feel like I, and of course I say that <laughs> being, being, trying to be self-aware here, <laughs> I used to say that I was living a very balanced life and now I tell you, oh yeah, I feel like I'm living a very balanced life now. Right. Right. But um, I really do feel like I'm much more balanced. I'm 100% balanced now. Mm -hmm. um, but so I graduated college and was still kind of in that the clean eating mindset and everything, even though like I understood that there was a certain amount of food I should probably have, especially if I had certain performance goals. Mm -hmm. So um, go to Cairo school and I'd be like, I don't know, maybe I should have an obsessive mentality. I think that a lot of us in <laughs> fitness do. Right. But, yeah, for sure. Like activity trackers became kind of the it was like that first rage mm -hmm. of activity trackers sure. before like before you could wear them on your wrist and everything right so got one of those and i was like counting steps and seeing how many calories i was burning but more data was that's now more was, data yeah it's more dude you, i'm a data junkie i get it like i i am such a data junkie that you like i have excel spreadsheets for everything so it <laughs> right. just like and maybe that's probably a huge part of it because it <laughs> feeds me yeah um but so i'm seeing like you know, I'm, I'm tracking my macros and I'm seeing how that relates to my activity and what my activity is saying. And, you know, but, and, you know, I feel like I'm more balanced now than I ever been in my life. I'm like, yeah, I'm doing it right. But at the and you know, I'm like, I'm allowing myself to have like some ice cream or something. I'm allowing myself to eat some, uh, some, I realized that, oh, there's not clean and dirty foods. There's just food. Mm but now I'm more obsessed about the numbers. Ooh. So just kind of, it kind of just was a gateway to something else a little right. bit. Right. Yeah. So it's a gateway. So you like, you let go of one thing, but it becomes a gateway to another thing. Right. And it's like, well, now I'm obsessed with numbers and I won't allow myself to go more than 50 calories over my target or I feel bad about myself mm -hmm. or I'm shaming myself for some unknown reason. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, and we see a lot of people that go through, that go through this kind of stuff, you know? And so just over time, gradually reducing some of that obsessiveness to the point that I think I tracked, I think I tracked my macros, gosh, for five years mm. or so. Um, I mean, now I don't, now I don't track anything. 
Right. Um, unless I am really trying to like dial things in, yeah. try and dial things in for a certain reason. Right. Um, usually some sort of like competition or something. Yeah. But um, otherwise it's very intuitive, but I can do that because I've spent five years looking, looking at data to understand what it is I'm putting in my body. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, you know, it's like, I don't think about necessarily like going out to, and that's how I understand that. Like my balance, like I don't think about going out to dinner with my family. Mm-hmm. I, like I can look at a menu and say, yeah, you know what? Maybe that's not the greatest option sure. on the menu for how much I should probably be eating. And mm-hmm. so I'm going to go with this option over here, but like, I don't feel bad about doing that. Right. Um, and that really has, I've lived in the extremes. And I think that allows me to live in the middle now and be, a, I'm moderate on just about everything. I always take a moderate stance mm-hmm. on, there are very few things I'll take an extreme stance on. Cause I think the, you know, the more extreme your viewpoint, the more likely you're wrong. Right. Yeah. Um, there's some situation out there where an absolute just isn't going to fit. Mm-hmm. So, you know, going through that really gives me a better appreciation for understanding that, you know, you don't know what somebody's dealing with. Mm-hmm. You don't, you know, someone can look perfectly fine and like they're, maybe they're being, maybe they're torn up inside. Maybe they think, maybe they think they're perfectly fine and they're not, but you know, it's, it allows me to, I think, empathize a little bit better Mm -hmm. with patients um, going through injuries. You know, I've dealt with my own injuries and, you know, just having these, going through these processes and realizing like, damn it, we're all human. Yeah. You know, like I'm a human, I've dealt with it, you know, you're human and like you have to get down to that level Mm -hmm. of, we're just people helping people. Right. And we, none of us know exactly what we're doing. We're just more specialized in different areas to help counsel and guide. Dude, that's, and that's a, that's a great button on this podcast, to be honest, because this is, this is why I wanted to create this podcast. That's why it's called the more than fitness podcast, because there's tons of, you can find podcasts for days from other health professionals like you and, and like others that, uh, you can learn about the calories and the macros and the training and all those like tactical type stuff. But then there's not as much stuff just about like you as the person. And I will, I, I've built relationships with people in the industry and I know, I know some things about some people, but I just want, I want the people that, that come on here. I just want to have a genuine conversation with them. And just like, I want the listener to be a fly on the wall. And I feel like that tells, um, or that shows a lot more about the person that I'm talking to than if I just had a big list of questions here. And then you just answered, answered the questions I interviewed you. hundred percent. Yeah. The best, the best information will come from just the natural conversations of, like, let's just talk about something, mm-hmm. you know, like, let's just get it out there rather than this, you know, overly rehearsed Q, Q&A, and, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I totally, totally 100% agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, cool. Cool. Awesome. Um, this has been amazing, man. I really, I really, really appreciate you you coming on here and this was i feel like a lot of people we kind of we kind of did the podcast in reverse actually kind of you kind of got into your story uh yeah. of all that stuff at the end but i think it works out great because the stuff in the beginning was amazing too so yeah it flows i yeah it does and i think uh i think i think people enjoyed a lot but uh what do you what do you got going on right now i know you're doing a lot of the prehab 101 uh seminars and things yeah so i have my prehab 101 seminar tour um, I'm about to do my last one in the States in New York city in July 13th and 14th. Um, and then, so that's a, I started that about a year and a half ago, two years, I guess two years ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, 
just teaching on rehabilitation, kind of my style towards rehabilitation, taking that, um, trying to blend a little bit of strength conditioning with it and hopefully setting people up for a better return to activity without getting hurt again. Hence the whole prehab right, part right, of it. Right. Um, so yeah, we teach uh, health and fitness professionals how to help their clients who are maybe dealing with injuries mm-hmm. and need to get back to full life, whatever, whether that is playing with their kids or performing at high level sport um, and set them up for the best return possible. So we are going to be in New York city in July 13th and 14th. Mm-hmm. And then I'll, I don't know if I'm, I'm looking at maybe doing one in Orlando in our new office, but not sure quite yet. Right. And then we're going to go up to Canada and we'll finish up in Australia for uh to end up the year wow man that's awesome that's that's fun you you've been enjoying the the traveling and things and doing it yeah it's it's fun it's like i get up there in front of people and it's just like i'm in my zone mm-hmm. i i never i never planned on going into teaching or having a course or anything it was just the the opportunity arose and i did it once and was like oh my god i love this right right like this is fun and like i love treating i love being one-on-one with somebody too uh, but I really love being up there in front of people and just, just doing my thing. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And I'm sure, I'm sure it shows, it showed, um, in this podcast, it shows through your Instagram, like everything you can tell that you enjoy what you're doing. Um, and, and yeah, man, I think that that's, that's awesome. Cause that's what this is all about anyway. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Amazing. Amazing. All right. Um, so where else can people find you? So my main platform is Instagram. My okay. handle there is dr.jacob.harden. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm on every social platform. So you can find me on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, all that all under the same name. Mm-hmm. Um, I practice out of Orlando, Florida. We're opening up a brand new office in downtown Orlando called Orlando Sports Rehab. So if anybody is in Orlando and needs some help through an injury, just let us know. We'll take care of you. Awesome. Awesome. So everybody, yes, definitely go follow him on IG. I promise you will not regret it. Um, and send him a DM, say what's up, tell him you enjoyed this. Um, and yeah, doc, thank you so much for, uh, for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you.